with Sue and Andy podcast for Tuesday, March 1st. We begin with a look at the ongoing situation in Ukraine. Abigail Beeman, Global News Ottawa correspondent, brings us the latest on the Russian invasion, including a rundown of the Canadian economic sanctions on Russia announced on Monday. Next, we examine Canada's reliance on foreign energy resources, in particular refined oil products imported from Russia. We discuss with energy policy analyst Dave Yeager. Today is the day we move into step two of the provincial easing of COVID-19 restrictions, which include the end of mandated masks here in Calgary. We catch up with Global News reporter Sarah Offen for a breakdown of what the changes will look like and how Calgarians are reacting to the lifting of the restrictions. And finally, how can we eat healthy while navigating high food prices at the grocery store? We got some tips from a certified nutritionist to help you make healthy choices and not break the bank the next time you're heading to the supermarket. Talks between Russia and Ukraine yesterday yielding no big breakthrough to end Russia's invasion. With the details on all the latest news on the war in Eastern Europe, we are joined this morning by Abigail Beeman, Global News Ottawa correspondent. Good morning to you, Abigail. Thanks for being with us. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Okay, let's get right into it. The Prime Minister announcing another shipment of lethal aid headed to Ukraine. What exactly is Canada sending over to help? That's right. So this latest announcement involves 100 anti-tanks, anti-tank weapons systems, uh, as well as upgraded ammunition, and that's 2,000 rockets. Those details coming from the Prime Minister and Defence Minister uh, in a news conference late Monday afternoon, and then also debated and discussed uh, in the House of Commons uh, Monday night in a take note debate. Uh, so again, this is the uh, not the first time that Canada is sending uh, lethal aid to Ukraine, and it comes on the heels of a Sunday after uh, Sunday afternoon announcement about non-lethal aid uh, support, gog- night vision goggles, and, uh, and other support, which the Defence Minister says uh, the first plane of that, uh, those supplies departed Monday with another for later this week. Now, calls are growing for Canada to accept more people who are obviously fleeing what's happening in Ukraine in this humanitarian crisis. Where do things stand there and what's Canada doing? That's right. So that is something that the that the opposition was is continues to push for and a and, and, uh, fair portion of the debate uh, last night was spent on that topic. Canada says that it has been uh, preparing for this influx of people for a month, that it has been getting ready for this. And the immigration minister saying uh, that Canada has already approved 4,000 applications for Ukrainians who want to come to Canada and are making other efforts to get people here faster and also to help people who are already here, Ukrainians already in Canada, uh, to help them be able to stay longer through uh, extended work or study permits, uh, things like that. But the opposition is calling specifically for uh, to remove the visa requirement for Ukrainians to come here, saying that that would uh, help more people come faster for a temporary amount of time. Uh, the Prime Minister and the Immigration Minister asked about that several times yesterday. They're not really giving a specific reason as to why. They say that they're working on the best ways to get people here, uh, but uh, no no reasoning or, or, or nothing specific as to why they won't remove that uh, visa requirement at this time. Abigail, can you bring us up to speed on the sanctions? Will the most recent announced step make a difference what are you hearing 
Right. So that is what both the prime minister and the deputy prime minister really focused on yesterday in their comments in the House and in their uh, news conference, saying that these sanctions are making a difference, uh, pointing to the plunging record low of the ruble, uh, as well as uh, Russia having to close the stock market on Monday. So uh, the prime minister believes that they are working, that they are sending the strong message to Putin. Um, Yesterday and over the weekend, further sanctions were announced, including uh, basically sanctioning Russia's central bank, uh, forbidding Canadian institutions to deal uh, with Russia's central bank. And the the reasoning there is that Russia has billions of dollars. Um, uh, this is a move that allies are doing as well. Uh, and, and, and the reason uh, the reasoning that, that Russia has billions of dollars in foreign reserves around the world, which it could use to help prop up the ruble uh, as it tanks, and that uh, by cutting off its supply to those foreign funds, uh, that that will be what well, that will that will have an impact on uh, Russia's entire economy. Abigail, are you able to tell us anything about what happened yesterday in the talks between Russia and Ukraine and sort of an update on, on I mean, obviously, no peace was achieved, but uh, where are they right. at? Yeah, it, it seemed to be it seemed to be just continued talks with no uh, clear nothing tangible to come out of that and then we you know hear reports this morning of uh, uh, of russian troops advancing closer to uh, kiev so no- nothing tangible there uh, you know a lot of people w- waiting and watching to see uh, what would come out of those hours and hours of, of talks but nothing at this point abigail ukraine president zelensky signing an application for eu membership wanting to to kind of fast track it see if they he right. can uh, you know sign up uh what has been the response to that uh, request yeah still waiting to hear uh, what happens there uh still still waiting for an update but uh you know it's it, 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 there have been a lot of signs of support uh, from allies around the world for Ukraine. Uh, we, we'll have to wait and see whether that, uh, what the response is to that membership. Thank you so much for the update. Appreciate your time this morning, Abigail. Thank you. Thank you. Abigail Beeman, Global News Ottawa correspondent. You know, uh, we're also hearing uh, coming in this morning, at least seven people reported killed in a blast in central Kharkiv near the administrative building. That's just one day after that city was shelled. Nine people killed in uh, Russian shelling in that eastern city as as that massive Russian uh The convoy that we talked about earlier, Andy, is headed towards the capital of Kiev. It's a massive, massive convoy of Russian military vehicles. That's got to be scary. I guess that's probably half the the point of it, right, is to terrify the people of Ukraine. Well, it's interesting because some of the uh, analysis I was hearing about in the past several days was that they would have expected the Russian forces to have kind of a shock and awe, kind of like we did see in the Gulf Wars. Like, you know, you come on big, you scare the pants off Mm -hmm. everybody. And they did not see that. So could this be the shock and awe? And uh, reports are that this is what they're sending is 25% of the incomplete Russian military at this point. So we'll see what happens. But at the same time, I just am the optimist who thinks, wouldn't it be great if they could have some kind of a conversation? And then you look on the other side and Vladimir Putin, uh, Russian President Vladimir Putin, they're asking about his mental state. How can you get into the mind of anybody who thinks that annexing a innocent country is is, yeah. is is the right thing to do but you know what we we will never know exactly um i don't know i mean it's, it's just, so bizarre it's just me. diabolical and you know i had uh, heard from a couple of the high-ranking ukrainian uh, military members that while the peace talks supposed peace talks were on yesterday they were actually on high alert because they trust putin so little they know that he's such a, a nut that they were expecting an attack while the peace talks were going on because that's the that's 
the kind of person they believe him to be. It's, and now look at it, right? The peace talks just ended hours ago. Yeah. And they're rolling in this massive convoy towards Kiev. It, well, it, was, it was on the way, but having said all that, it, to me, it, it really, you look at what we can do, and we hear and spoke with Abigail about the sanctions, and at first I thought, this kind of man be pamby what are sanctions going to do? But you look at 144 million citizens in Russia, if you can't use your bank card and you can't buy Visa groceries, and MasterCard have now cut absolutely. off the people of Russia. If, they can't bank. I'm not so sure what sort of social network or programs they have, but those are going to be impacted because, you know, let's be honest, like even, you know, food banks and social services need funding and these funding sources are being cut off. If you have your entire, like I'm saying, close to 150 million people not behind you, how powerful is that? Things I would suggest change, it's right? very powerful. And hackers have allowed now the Russian people to hear and, and understand what the true situation is, what is happening in Ukraine. So it might be a very different place. Uh, Gail says Putin checks off every single characteristic of a psychopath. No restrictions are going to stop him. He wants to be the modern day Hitler. And this is his legacy. That's scary when you put it in those terms, uh, for sure. Well, Canada is the fourth largest oil producer in the world. So why do we still import foreign oil? And is it possible to shut off the taps to Russian oil imports? With details, we are joined by Dave Yeager, energy policy analyst, oil and gas writer, and author of the book, From Miracle to Menace, Alberta, A Carbon Story. Good morning to you, Dave. Good morning. I just need some clarification here, you know, because I hear the number sliding back and forth. Uh, you know, off the top, I said fourth largest oil producer. Is is that correct, or are we number three or number five? I think it's number five in terms of oil and liquids, number four in terms of combined oil and gas, barrel of oil equivalent. But we're right up there. That is uh, probably the best-kept secret in the country. It's almost like we're in a state of denial. This is big business. Dave, let's talk about the, the, the thing that everybody is, I think, shocked to find out how much oil we actually import from Russia and, and that we import oil from Russia at all. How much Russian oil does Canada bring in yearly? Well, none now. We the they used to the come by chance refinery which in which was in Newfoundland was sold uh, and it closed down and mothballs changed hands several times. We don't we don't actually import any Russian crude oil, although we do import a refined product, something like four or five hundred million dollars a year of uh, refined products like gasoline and diesel and stuff like that. I would just check it up on all the stats with the Canadian Energy Regulator. And 40% of Canadian refineries run on imported crude oil. And that is really a plumbing issue. Uh, we export the rest. So we've, we've tried to, Western Canada tried to get the attention of, of, uh, of Eastern Canada beyond Ontario in 1957, actually 65 years ago. The first attempts were made to put uh, uh, Western Canadian oil into markets that could be served by offshore tanker. And we have failed and continued to fail. But uh, but it's big. It's still, we've imported them. Um, well, COVID, 2020 is a bad year because of COVID. We don't have any 21 data yet. But it was something like 700,000 barrels a day. And I think the salient number is 40% of the refining capacity in the country. All of it in what Eastern Canada runs on imported oil from somewhere else. You mentioned oh. that, you know, you, you, people were surprised to perhaps hear that it's imported. And I guess... The bottom line is maybe head in sand by a lot of uh, naysayers who, for whatever reason, don't want the oil from the West in the sense that where is the oil coming from? Nobody's you know thought to really question this. It uh, becomes an issue when the price goes up. <laughs> Again, this has been a lifelong battle. We've been uh, the, <laughs> just, just for the record, Ezra Levant wrote a book in 2010 called Ethical Oil when the battle against the oil sands was beginning. And he wondered why. 
uh, since uh, with the Russian-Ukrainian situation, since oil has become a moral crusade again. It does periodically. We wondered why we we import oil from places like Saudi Arabia, where their human rights issues are, are deplorable and their treatment of women is deplorable. Why? And it's just price and politics. In the end, uh, it's it's perceived to be cheaper uh, to import oil from, uh, and these issues don't seem to matter. They uh, there's great support for banning exports of Canadian oil off the West Coast by Bill C-48, the tanker ban, but bringing imported oil down the St. Lawrence by tanker on the East Coast is not seen as a problem. And we in the West, we in the industry have been scratching our heads for, well, 65 years, really. It, what do you do to turn Canada into a real country? It doesn't make sense, Dave. It really is. It's fascinating, the, the nonsensical reasoning behind it all. And obviously, we know, we hear a lot about why are we not shipping from the West to the East, but we don't have a pipeline. The Prime Minister is not in favour of it, and it, it's Quebec, I understand, it also says a no-go to that, right? There was a, a valiant attempt uh, to build Energy East, and uh, which would link Western Canadian oil all the way to the major, the last, the biggest refinery in the country, which is Irving in, in New Brunswick. And that was they were going to repurpose the natural gas line for part of it uh, to Central Canada, and then build some pipe. And that got stiff political opposition uh, right from the get-go in Ontario. And, uh, Denny Coderre was the mayor of Montreal and was one of those over-my-dead-body moments. And, and finally, uh, TransCanada, the proponent, after spending a billion dollars in the National Energy Board hearings were, were torpedoed, the government came back and for the first time said, you'll have to tell us what the carbon impact of the oil would be. And, and TransCanada finally, just after spending a billion dollars and realizing they were going to be in a regulatory quicksand forever, just gave up. But the, the the facade of the of the of the carbon footprint of the oil in the pipeline, of course, this was not to this was not additional oil. It was just different oil. It was Canadian oil as opposed to imported oil. But this has been a political issue uh, uh, for years. It is again, what is it? And you know, this is um, a country in name in many ways only. Uh, National transportation links built the country. 150 years ago or 140 years ago with the rail line, but trying to build an oil pipeline mm. from one end of the country to the other. Again, this has started in 65 years. Uh, they tried to do that. There was a pipeline demanded by uh, Pierre Elliott Trudeau in the 70s, putting from Sarnia to Montreal and Bridge Line 9. And he insisted that for security supply, that pipeline be built. And it was, but as soon as oil became cheaper, it was reversed. And it started carrying imported oil from uh, Montreal to Sarnia when they wanted to reverse that pipeline again, Enbridge 9-9, Line 9, about 10 years ago, it was a huge hue and cry because, of course, it was going to contain oil sands, the most toxic oil in the universe. And, uh, and again, the battle was on. It, uh, we, out west, we're, we're to, we, again, we just scratch, we in the oil industry have shake our heads in disbelief. This has been going on for decades. It's, it's bonkers. Dave, as an energy policy analyst, oil and gas writer, I'm wondering if you can give us any other examples on the globe of a, an energy-rich and energy-producing nation that imports as much resources as Canada does. Canada stands alone. Uh, it is the only oil major producing and exporting country in the world uh, that has intentionally blocked exports uh, from the West Coast and has intentionally blocked inter uh, international or you know trans uh, pan Canadian, I guess is the word I'm looking for. Pan Canadian transportation of its own products. I believe that we would stand alone in the world in the obstruction of Western oil, both to export markets off the West Coast and internal markets to Central Canada. It is it's a head scratcher. 
Do we ship by rail? Do we ship oil by rail across this country, Dave? Oh, yeah. Yeah. That Just was, not uh, enough remember, of it? Remember that horrible event in Lac Megantique? Yes, true. Uh, in 2013. So that just was, not uh, enough, though? Uh, the rail, uh, the, well, in the end, it's not, it's not, it's not a shortage yet. Uh, the, you know, the, the oil, the world has been well supplied with oil until really about eight, eight or ten months ago. Uh, and there has been, I, I know Synovus last year, just to make a point during COVID, put a, uh, put a tanker of, of heavy oil uh, in, a, in the left Vancouver, went down through the Panama Canal and showed up uh, in Irving, uh, the Irving Refinery in New Brunswick. It was more of a, pub- a publicity stunt than anything else. And uh, yes, we did ship oil from Alberta to uh, uh, to New Brunswick through the Panama Canal. Mm. But again, it's just nobody was interested. I mean, it's just it's 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 unfortunately one of those issues that when the price goes up at the pump and and there's a, the shooting war somewhere, uh, then all of a sudden people wake up. But the same issue has been around forever and ever. Is why why wouldn't um, why wouldn't energy security and domestic energy security supply become an issue? And it was in the 1970s, and then they forgot about it again. And then uh, here we are again talking about it, uh, mainly because of uh, because of Russia. But it it really is. I would hope. I mean, there's no good news coming out, but no possible good news coming out of. Uh, the rising price of the pump and the rising price for consumers and the and the awful conflict on the rush in Russia and the Ukraine, but every now and then it does change the channel and and brings it just like the interview we're doing this morning. Thank you very much. We finally wake up mm-hmm. and attempt to have a det- an intelligent discussion about the Canadian oil industry and security of supply. And, um, and, you know, I wish, uh, well, you'll be translating this into French, I assume. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and broadcasting it no, to like Rebel Provence do. later today, I, tr- I trust. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, well, we are having this conversation, and we appreciate your time, Dave. Thank you so much for uh, this morning. Well, thanks for your interest. It's my favorite subject. Have a great day. Good stuff. That's Dave Yeager, energy policy analyst, oil and gas writer, and author of the book, From Miracle to Menace, Alberta, A Carbon Story. Today is the day. Mm. Alberta has entered stage two or step two or phase, what, the different names we've had over the past I know years. there have been many. Um, of its reopening plan, mask mandates and capacity limits have been removed for the most part. With details, we're joined by Global News reporter Sarah Offen. Good morning to you, Sarah. Good morning. Uh, if you can break down, Sarah, for us what stage two looks like, and I know that there's only really a couple places where masks will be mandated still. Yeah, so the masking is, of course, the big one. Um, there are a few exceptions, as you mentioned, that, um, which is public transit. So if you're riding a sea train, if you're riding a bus, you're still required to wear one. Also in um, Alberta Health Service facilities like hospitals, as well as all continuing care homes, no matter who they're managed by. So that's the big one that we're going to see. Businesses, uh, of, of course, uh, downtown, you're not required to, to wear a mask if you're going inside various businesses. Uh, a lot of people we've been speaking with still choosing to wear them. Uh, the other the other ones that we're going to see changing, uh, school requirements, any COVID-related requirements at school, including cohorting, that's going to be removed. Youth screening for activities and entertainment, sports no longer required, capacity limits, and all large venues are gone. So that means no holes barred barred for um, for Thursday's game um, with the Flames, the Saddle Dome. Uh, no more social gathering limits, indoor, outdoor, uh, mandatory work from home requirements are lifted, restrictions on liquor service, 
um, operating hours for bars and nightclubs, those are all gone. And that's sort of the entirety of, of stage two reopening this round of it anyway. A big deal for sure. Did you mention that mandatory work from home thing? That's gone too, right? That's gone too, yes. So people don't have to stay home. They can get back into the workspace. It's going to be a different world. Uh, what are you seeing while you're out and about this morning? Are a lot of people just whipping that mask off and, and going crazy? <laughs> well, we are at a sea train station. So to be fair, they are still required to wear them. But we've been speaking with people who say they think it should also be a choice when you're on public transit, which is interesting because we've also spoken with an infectious disease specialist, um, you know, who say that, there's there's still a significant risk here and um you know specifically for people that are immunocompromised this is a really big challenge it poses a quite a big threat because suddenly you really um it becomes a little bit more dangerous to go into these spaces edmonton for example i mean we know the bylaw here in calgary it's designed to follow the provincial bylaw um the provincial mask mandate in Edmonton, they've chosen to keep their mask mandate for now until they reach under a hundred or sorry, hundred cases per hundred thousand here in Calgary. I'm not sure where Edmonton's at right now here in Calgary. We're at 166 per 100,000. So the numbers are, are, are still up there still um, some other cities, some other jurisdictions that are sort of being a little bit more cautious than Alberta's approach. But we, we have seen other provinces as well. I think, um, Saskatchewan removes theirs on Monday. Manitoba is soon to follow. Um, Doug Ford in Ontario has said that they will soon follow. So I think by mid uh, to uh, certainly by late March, we're going to see most provinces following suit here. Good stuff. Thanks for breaking it down for us, Sarah. You're welcome. Most welcome. Global News reporter Sarah Offen. As food prices continue to climb, a lot of us are asking ourselves, is it possible to eat well and eat healthily on a tight budget? Joining us with some insight and advice to keep us healthy and on budget is Jennifer House, dietitian, nutritionist and author. Good morning, Jennifer. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Steve. Thanks for having me. It's tough. It's getting tougher and tougher. Boy, the prices continue to climb. And, you know, you go into the grocery store. Where do you start? Is it is it still best to do what we've always been told, stay on the outskirts of the grocery store? Um, that definitely helps. So I have seven tips for you to help save money in the grocery store. But this is actually perfect timing. Being March 1st, it's Nutrition Month. So I just wanted to say that Dietitians of Canada, so we celebrate Nutrition Month every year, and we know the factors that influence, you know, the future health of Canadians and the food we eat. It's really challenging and complex, involving food literacy, food security, which we can certainly talk about today. Um, I think we've all noticed the prices in the grocery store are going up. Uh, There was um, an organization in Calgary that found the cost of living in Calgary they do an annual living wage report, and for a family of four, we can expect to pay $222 a month more for food than we did last year. So, you know, it is significant. Wow. You put it in those terms, Jennifer. We've got about four or five minutes here, so I know we want to get to your points. I'm wondering mm-hmm. if you want to, you know, in no particular order, let's uh, get, to, get to a handful of them first, because I'm sure we're going to have some questions. For sure. So, you know, you don't necessarily need to stay around the perimeter because one of the best places you can go for fruits and vegetables is is that freezer aisle. I know the fresh produce is, is super expensive, but frozen fruit, frozen veggies, if it's on sale, and they're actually at least as nutritious, if not more nutritious than the fresh vegetables because they're flash frozen right when the picks, as opposed to, you know, sitting on trucks, sitting in the grocery store. So you can definitely hit up the frozen section. As for fruits and vegetables, another great choice in Calgary, there are some discount produce stores. So there's Freestone Produce in 32nd Ave, 
the Crisp Apple in Douglasdale, and then the Good Food Box is sort of like a subscription. You know, you pay for a certain amount of produce, then you go and pick it up. So those are some good options for uh, fruit and veggies if you want to keep on eating them while the prices go up and up. And then meat is also another area. I think we've noticed the prices yeah. skyrocketing. So, you know, buy a whole chicken instead of chicken breasts or buy them close to their best before date when they're discounted, throw them right in the freezer. And then, you know, sub in some other proteins like eggs and beans are still really cheap. And even if you're making a pasta sauce or chili, sub half of the meat for, for lentils and tastes great. You still get your protein and you save money. Do you suggest uh, meal planning? Is that something that can help us actually save money too? Yeah, I know nobody likes to hear, but absolutely, uh, you know, meal planning will decrease food waste because you can plan with what you have in your fridge or your pantry, definitely decreases trips to the store. Um, if you make one plan for the week with your list, you're not stuck going to the store multiple times. Um, you know, we go in for one or two things and always come out with, with you know, a full basket. So meal planning is definitely a great tip to help save money. Um, you know, and as unprocessed as you can buy, grate your own cheese rather than buy the grated cheese. You know, the head of lettuce instead of the chopped lettuce will save you some money too. All right, let's uh, talk about, you know, something that is, you know, kind of like freezing time in the sense that there's so often I see these, you know, uh, buy now, um, you save 2 to $5 off cuts of meat. There's no written rule that you couldn't buy that and put it in the freezer. So again, more planning on, <laughs> on that side? Yeah, exactly. And if you end up at the store and there is a sale, say, on meat and you buy extra, throw it right in the freezer and then you work that into your meal plan next week. So, you know, you don't, your grocery bill might be a little, a little bit less next week. Do you feel like food insecurity really has become an issue for us here in Canada, particularly through the pandemic? Has it just gotten to be mm-hmm. a, a much worse problem that we've ever seen before? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, the basic definition of food security is that people can afford to buy food and then we can access food to meet our dietary needs, our food preferences. And in 2018, we know that one in eight Canadian households struggled with food security. And throughout the pandemic, we think it's closer to one in seven. So it's definitely a huge issue for this country. I'm wondering, you know, an issue for this country, Jennifer, is this a Mm -hmm. Canadian specific issue or is this something that's happening globally? Um, well, different countries, you know, deal with food security different ways. So some are struggling with it more than others. But I think, you know, the pandemic has put pressure on all countries in terms of supply chain issues. Um, you know, gas prices are going up, so it's more expensive to transport and grow food. We've had a shortage of labor, you know, to come in and work on farms. Um, you know, climate change, natural disasters, even looking at, you know, the BC floods, which um, make transport of food harder. So, Globally, I think it's an issue too, and there are uh, certainly lots of reasons for it. Jennifer, we thank you for your time this morning. We'll send folks to your website because you've got great stuff on there. It's firststepnutrition.com. You've got, uh, you know, free training seminars where you can help get your kids to try new foods. <laughs> oh, my gosh, I need that at my house. Yes. And lots of other information. So we'll send people there, firststepnutrition.com. And thank you so much for your time this morning. Great, thank you. Appreciate it. Jennifer House is a dietitian, nutritionist, and author. Thanks for downloading and listening to the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review for free at Apple Podcast, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts. And tune in to Mornings with Sue and Andy from 530 to 9 every weekday morning on 770 CHQR.